if you can't get this price we're talking about, what else do you have up your sleeve other than lowering the price? And I think that's a way of when you're dealing with making expenses and making your property more efficient that you can do in an up, down, and sideways market. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Charles Carrillo. Charles is joining us from North Palm Beach, Florida. He's the managing partner of Harborside Partners, which is a real estate syndication firm. And he has been actively investing in multifamily since 2006, Charles is a current investor in over 250 multifamily units across three states. Charles, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ash. It's our pleasure. Charles, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? I grew up in real estate business. My dad was an investor starting in the 80s on multifamily. He had probably about 100 units and he had one part for some of them, but he self-managed them with a small team. So he never had a third-party management company. And I started after getting out of college, he kind of pushed me to start investing into real estate. And it was something that I enjoyed growing up and spending time with him, even though his properties were mostly C's. Some of them were D's, which I wasn't too interested in having any part of. But when I started investing in real estate, he made sure that I was investing in much better properties. So like C, C plus areas and above. And I started investing in multifamily in 06 and started investing in commercial properties in 09 and moved to Florida in 2012. And since then, really been focusing on JV deals and also on syndication deals. So that's what we're kind of focused on now. And at this point where we stand right now is... We're selling a couple deals and we are also negotiating a couple deals out and have two development deals in planning. Did you get into real estate right out of college? Did you just take over the family business? My dad had actually liquidated everything when I was in high school. It was perfect. It's fine. I did it on my own. I still had him as a mentor, which was the most important thing to have. But my dad was kind of going his own way and didn't want to deal with it. And I think if he had brought on third-party management earlier, I think it had been something that he would want to have held on to. But he only had a small portfolio of rentals himself that he self-managed. He still has some today too that he self-manages. He has no third-party management on him. He's never done that before. But I knew it was the way to growing. And once I brought on third-party management, because I had a small portfolio I still have in Connecticut. And when I moved to Florida, I had to put the third-party management in place. And that was game-changing because after it started running correctly and you kind of start syncing with your property manager, that's when you could really grow. And now I'm not worried about the termites, what do they call Three T's of real estate investing. And I could really focus on doing more acquisitions and kind of growing the business, which was game changing. What was your start into real estate? And was it right after college? Yeah, it was a few months after college. I think it was October. So maybe like six months or something afterwards, graduating five months. And it was a three family that I house hacked and rented it. I had one roommate and then rented out the other two floors to college students. It was about a mile and a half from the college I graduated in, in Connecticut. So that was good for two or three years. 
And then they start moving out and doing their own stuff and just rented them out. It was very easy to rent out. So it's the easiest way of house hacking, I think, when you're going in with multi-units versus just having a single family house and renting out bedrooms, which I feel is kind of a mess because it's a whole nother level of due diligence you want to do on a roommate versus someone that's just renting a unit from you that's down the hall or upstairs or something like this that you run into occasionally. So that's how we started and then bought another three family about a year or two, about a block away from that. And then in 2009, we had this huge pullback and I bought a small mixed use commercial property. All this stuff I still own today, maybe two or three blocks away from that. All my stuff in Connecticut is very close to each other. So it made it really easy when I was self-managing it from 06 to 2012. And then I brought in third-party management to it, which I should have outsourced a lot more stuff, even self-managing it. That's what my dad had done before, but I did not hindsight, right? But now we take into consideration, especially on smaller joint venture deals when we're not syndicating them. The management is such an important piece of the puzzle because of that asset management. The property management can make or break your property. Were you not managing them effectively? Why would they do a better job than you? Because we're walking properties. Back then I was doing some flips as well, but it wasn't something I really focused on doing. When we were in 09 or 2010, tons of stuff was going for pennies on the dollar of what you looked at before. So it was like you'd be walking properties with real estate agents in the morning in different brokers and you got a call that comes in and it's some small issue or someone wants to meet you to pay rent, which is a good problem to have, but it's very difficult when you have dozens of people trying to pay you rent on a couple days a month and you have to now, everything's a special arrangement to meet with that person and having someone just a hundred percent deal with the calls, deal with the accounting, the bookkeeping, everything like that. And all you're focusing on is reviewing deals and underwriting and looking at comps and negotiating and putting out offers. That sounds like a lot, but you're all under one hat. You're not, oh, now I'm a plumber and now I'm opening up doors for the utility companies and now I'm signing leases and all this kind of stuff that you can take off your plate and it's rather inexpensive. And that's something too, I probably didn't know off the bat, but it's also stupid stuff I was doing in the beginning, which I finally had contractors do, which was mowing lawns and stuff like this. And you're like, this stuff never should have been done. I never should have bought a mower after college. What do you do? I mean, you're 22 years old. What do you know? It's an evolution that a lot of people <laughs> go through, including myself. Charles, you said in 09, you focused on commercial properties. Is that non-residential, commercial, or multifamily? It's five plus units. And this one I had, so the answer to your question, it's commercial multifamily, but we had a small storefront in this one building. And the benefit with this is that you couldn't get financing. It was very, very difficult to get financing in 09 or 2010 on really anything that wasn't the one to four units. So I actually purchased this for 20... 728 cents on the dollar, what it sold for two years before from a bank. And I actually put an offer in 30% less and they actually countered it than what they wanted because he was coming with all cash and ended up refinancing years later, even trying to refinance that a year later, the banks were like, uh, we'll give you a quarter of what you paid for the property. And you're like, really? I stole the property and you guys are going to owe me only a quarter of what I paid. So you had a hold for that time in cash a lot longer. It wasn't like now where you buy something and six months or a year, you can find a local bank to get you out after that seasoning, which is usually six months to 12 months, depending on the lending institution. But back then, it, banks were really skittish and they had tons of stuff still on their books. And that's where you get the deal though. There's pros and cons. If you were flipping, you'd be crazy to flip anything that wasn't one to four units. Did you say that you've never sold any of your properties? Anything that I've owned hundred percent, I never sold. Okay. That's a regret that a lot of people have 
today, especially, mm. they wish they never sold anything. Where did you get that foresight from? I think I read it years back in a book, and I forget the name of the book, but he was explaining to it that it's better just to refi, take your money out. And in this situation, it was kind of crazy because I got dead on this property, the one I'm just talking about. I refinanced it in 2019, actually. Usually, if anybody's ever refinanced small commercial properties, it's five years, seven years, 10-year terms. I got a 25-year fully amortizing term loan on this, so it was like fantastic So because I never have to refinance it again. And I pulled out a bunch of money, and I reinvested in some other properties we had in Tampa. But the thing was that you can always refinance the property out. And if you just keep it now, I just make sure I keep that leverage really low at like 65 or 60% on smaller multifamily. Because the real goal in the smaller multifamily is to get them paid off. I think when you're getting into 20, 30 unit properties, they're more consistent, they're less volatile. So you can put a little bit more leverage on them and you can run it more or less like a complex where you know you have a consistent cash flow. When you're on smaller properties, five, seven units, I mean, you have three people that don't pay for whatever reason. You might not be able to cash flow that month. So on those properties, it's always been my goal. Anything smaller, the goal is to get long-term fixed debt and get it paid off. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. Let's dive into that for a second. Why do you want to pay it off? I think on the smaller stuff, I know you should keep on refinancing. That's an aggressive way. I just feel that when you're in those properties, if you've ever owned small multifamily, small commercial multifamily, they can be pretty streamlined, but they can also be pretty volatile. If you have one person that's not paying, one person pays rent late, you have one being turned, whatever it might be, you might have 40% just with two people not paying rent. And you find out that that property is not cash flowing as it was before when you plugged in your numbers and, hey, 7%, 5%, 10% vacancy, whatever number you're using when you're doing your underwriting. So my goal in the smaller properties is I get fixed term, long-term debt on them. 
and I'll pay them off. If I need to, I can always refinance them at a lower amount. That's kind of been my approach on that because it always will cash flow. You have some of these properties that I have, if you have no debt on them, you have two tenants not paying, you still cash flow without the debt. So that's a huge benefit to it. I think on the larger properties where say if you have 20 units plus, let's just use that. If you have five people not paying rent or something or paying late or whatever it might be, you still have 15 people paying to make up that mortgage payment to pay all the other fees, uh, the management fee and everything else that goes along with that operation of that property. So on that, I wouldn't have a problem with refinancing that every five, 10 years down the road and pulling a little bit of money out, but also keeping your loan to value, not like 80%, keep it a little bit more conservative. 65, maybe 70 is usually what most banks will do for good refinancing. So that's kind of my goal on those larger deals. Good. So it provides a bit of a safety net if you need it. And is that mentality what got you through 08 unscathed? Yeah, I didn't see too much of an issue with it. It's just you weren't seeing a lot of rent increases. And then when you're dealing with tenants, and I remember one time I probably lowered rent between tenants. And other than that, you would rent it and be increasing rent 2 or 3%. And just knowing you don't have any balloon coming up, especially then, because what happened in 2007, 2008, it lasted many years later. So if you had a balloon in that next five years, let's say, a lot of small lenders didn't come back until just several years ago. So during that time, if you had something that ballooned, where are you going to go with it? Another smaller property I had when I refinanced it a few years ago, I was speaking to the bank a few months ago and they're like, oh, we're still not loaning unless it's 50% loan to value, which is crazy. I mean, that just means you don't want to loan money. A lot of loan programs and they, people got skittish even during COVID. Some of the small banks that you don't really hear about because most people are talking bridge loans, which everybody can get, and then Fannie and Freddie. But the smaller ones that you need for these properties that are under a million dollar in loan size, some of these lenders aren't even back in the market or they've considerably, hey, we used to refinance at 70. Now we're refinancing at 50. Well, if you haven't added value to your property in, let's say, five years or four years since you purchased it, you're going into your pocket probably to refinance it. That's a good point. So Charles, you went through the typical single family, three unit, another three unit. How did you eventually get to syndications? It was something I was avoiding for years. I just didn't want to raise money and deal with all that. And I really liked the progression of doing stuff on my own and having a system in place and going with myself. And I would start working with my brother. I think the way that we found out years back, the only way we can scale the business was to go that route. And even if we weren't doing typical 100 plus unit properties to start off with, we were doing a little smaller properties we were able to really bring in investors on because people had been asking me during this process because it was years and years I'd been investing in real estate. Hey, how can we invest with you? And I had no idea and I really don't want this person as a partner. So syndication was a great way of, you can put your money in, but I don't like run everything by you. I know how this runs and you'll get your money quarterly and this is kind of how we'll do it. So syndication was a great way of doing that. And it really allowed us to scale and be able to put a little money in these different deals get them running and then have someone from our team follow up with them with a lot of the busy stuff that I didn't like doing as we spent our time just dealing with the property managers and the overall plan of how we are going to market it and how we are going to reposition it. What was your first syndication deal? We did a 59 unit in Tampa, which we are selling right now. It was actually 81 units it was supposed to be. We had a 22 unit out of that that backed out. So what we did was we purchased a 32 unit and then 27 units around it. And they were all threes and fours. 
I think it was one, three, and the rest of them were quads around this 32 unit complex. So it gave us a little bit of scale in the area. And now we're selling it all as a package deal. And we got a little better price on it because we were buying smaller and obviously a 32 unit. No syndicator wants to tell people they're syndicating a 32 unit, but 59, you get some scale. And then we did it again a year ago in Tampa as well. And we did a 68 and a 22 and put together for 90 units. And now we're taking something like this where we had the 68 was much more stabilized. And I think we paid about 74, 75 a door for. And then the 22 was in just not tough shape. It was in management tough shape. It was just mom and pop run into the ground. The owner was paying his ex-son-in-law 15% to manage this property into the ground. So I think we paid 55 a door for it. So the investors overall in that were paying the mid-high 60s for these properties. And now we can sell that as a package deal. And now you'll get a call back from a syndicator when you say, hey, we have 90 units. Because it's spread around that 100 perfect number. But if you say a 60 or 22, uh, no one's going to call you. Yeah. Your initial investors, were they friends and family? Yeah. Two or three of them were close friends. And then the rest of them, some, some business partners as well. And a couple of them had just been asking and asking about it and say, Hey, how can we get involved? We have this money, stuff like this. So when I sent it out to them, Hey, this is what we're going into. And this is what we're doing. And they're all on board. It was very easy. I had more kickouts in our second syndication than we did in our first syndication because people are already on board and understanding what was going on. And you'd already kind of coached them through how that all works. And then on the second one, those investors, again, plus also other investors that you maybe don't have as long of a timeline relationship with. And that's where you start having that higher kickout from those investors when you're actually, hey, when are you wiring the money and when are you signing? And when you say kickout, it's people who verbally committed but didn't follow through. Right. And we did a pretty good vetting on it. So I can't say it was something on our end directly. Obviously, every time you do something, you figure out what could be fine-tuned. That's why I always tell syndicators, not the new syndicators. I'm like, listen, you need a million dollars. Make sure you've got 2 million lined up. And not that it was that bad at all. It was maybe a 10% or something like this of funds, a little less than that, that probably kicked out. But the first deal we did had no one out of my portion of it with the general partnership that they kicked out. But that's something that you just really have to make sure you're over raising for. And a verbal commitment of you having a beer with a guy at a bar and saying, I want to invest in real estate. That's not really a verbal commitment. A real verbal commitment is we're having this call or you were on this webinar, or we've spent time specifically talking about this deal and all the pros and cons of it, not just general deals of real estate. I love this analogy. Your first syndication, you were probably nervous, worried about if you were going to be able to fill the subscription. So you probably put a lot of time and education into your investors. And then you had a win and you figured on your second one, you got this, you already got the first one under your belt and maybe you rested on your laurels a little bit. Yeah, I think so. We were raising for it. I had new people that were in the funnel and they hadn't been as vetted. You don't have that relationship. People reach out to me. I imagine people reach out to you and you kind of think, I'm just going to write that as not an investor. We'll have the conversation. We'll do it. But you don't really know until you know. So it's great because the other partners I was with were like, okay, I've got that. We had someone in waiting list. Oh, I'll, I'll fill that. It's not a problem. Or this is, and that's what's dealing with good partners and having a great base that you're working with. But it's funny how that works. It was opposite for me, which is funny. Are there any tips that you can share that will help vet some of these potential investors? Whenever someone reaches out, I get them on call and take notes and kind of feel out what they're doing. And then when you're sending out a deal, try to get a one to 10 on them about where they stand. A 10 being I'm at my bank wiring the money. 
one being keep me on the list. It's like pretty much the lowest you can go without them saying unsubscribe me from your mailing list. But get an idea there and really figure out and then just move them down a couple notches. If they say they're a seven, they're a five, and then you can kind of go raising additionally on that and then just kind of stress that how important it is to give me it and also stress too that it doesn't matter. I can put you on the mailing list today. And if you haven't invested in 10 years, you'll stay on the mailing list. I'm not going to call you and bother you. Everybody has different investment cycles of when their money goes out and when it comes in, right? We spoke a month ago, two weeks after that, you already invested into something. You won't have your money back for three to five years. That's fine. That's how everything works. I imagine investors with me had other groups that they were talking to and they never moved forward with that because they moved forward with something we were doing. So it goes both ways. It's just really knowing what the intention of your investors are. And then also when you're talking to them and keeping contact with them, say it's every three months or every four months or every two months, depending on how far in the future you think you'll have another deal is really seeing their response rate. I spoke to them on the phone. I never heard back from any of the emails or any of the calls. Okay. Or every time I email this person, I always get a response back within a few hours or within a day. Well, these are all things you got to keep in your CRM and make sure that you know, because someone that said they want to invest, but you never responded to them to your next four emails over the next year. Well, what's the likelihood that person is going to respond to your deal and email? Unless you're sending out these emails to them, they're six paragraphs, like a story, right? Because I'm not going to respond to that email. But if you give me two or three sentences on how's everything going, where are you investing? What do you see for the market? Whatever else is going on, that touch base email, that's really important where you can kind of gauge because I'll have a call and be like, yeah, call's okay. And then you go up in the follow-up and you're like, wow, this person is really keeps on asking me in every email for deals. This is a very solid person when I put them through because they've now built that relationship, even if it's not face-to-face, like you would have a typical relationship now after the COVID thing here, how we do it. And it's like, okay, now I have an idea of where they stand. And if they give me the okay, now I can look through their profile on the CRM and say, okay, this is a very solid investor. And I should really take this seriously when they do give me a soft commitment saying they're going to invest 50 or $100,000. We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about RentReady because I'm guessing they have some services that you'll wish you had. RentReady is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With RentReady, you're able to collect rent online and get paid, find the perfect tenant with a built-in screening and listing service, and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. And the best part, RentReady is unlimited. That's right. All this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And RentReady has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get RentReady's annual plan for only 54 bucks at rentready.com when you use our special code BESTEVER. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with the code B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R at rentready.com to get rent ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks 
Did you know that credit checks miss 85% of the information landlords and property managers need to verify new tenants? That's a problem. The solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a platform that allows you to instantly access prospective tenants' financial information and compiles it all into a quick and easy-to-read report to help you select the highest quality tenants. You can access income, payroll, past rent payments, non-sufficient funds, and overdraft history all in one place. Rentify's reports instantly verify the full financial picture of the tenant, so there's no chance of being duped with false information. No one likes to be duped. And the best part is that you can have it all at your fingertips in as little as five minutes. Go check out Rentify at TrustRentify.com and stop wasting time and start fast-tracking the tenant screening process with confidence and ease. With Rentify, you'll no longer have to waste hours or even days collecting all the information you need to verify a tenant, which makes life easier for you and your applicants. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y dot com and put in the promo code FAIRLESS. That's my last name, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first purchase. I love what you said about asking the investors if they're a 1 to 10, and I think that solves a lot of problems here. One is they may feel obligated since you're on the phone with them. Yeah, you know, I'm interested. Yeah, put me down, put me down. But if they can gauge where they are from one to 10, and if they know that there's no fear of getting kicked off the list, they can comfortably say, I'm a four or five. Let's just keep the ball rolling. Keep me on the loop for future deals. So I love that because it takes a lot of the guesswork out of where they stand. Great advice. Thank you for that. I want to rewind a little bit. And you initially had the mindset of you are not going to take other people's money. You're just going to do it on your own. And then you had this monumental shift where you now had to attract investors. What are some of the things that you did to change that mindset and engage more with investors? I was talking to a mentor years back and he was explaining that all these large private equity firms, all these large investors, household names, let's say uh, in the investing world, that's how they've made their money and how they've grown their business. And maybe they started like you have Warren Buffett. He started with some small limited partnerships and then he started taking on money on a large scale and running an SEC enterprise that's compliant with all that and now a publicly traded company. So the thing though, is that there was the only way they had really to grow to the next level and they have your own capital, but obviously you run out at that point. And I think that the shift of now having to attract money is a little different because you're not going and doing your normal investing activities you're going out now and you're explaining more about what you're doing, which is very interesting to most people, but it's a little different. And you're really changing hats when you go from, hey, I'm Charles, the real estate investor, and I'm talking to brokers and I'm looking at deals and I'm telling you why this deal is not going to work for me. And I'm telling you what I exactly want compared to now I'm documenting that or I'm explaining it to a third party, which isn't in front of me. Like you're putting it through a thought leadership platform and explaining what we're doing. And then it's very interesting because with my podcast and with the YouTube, and then you start hearing back from people that are saying, wow, this is very interesting. This was a great clip. And you're like, oh, wow, that's really helping someone. And it's a different way of going about it, which most real estate investors, they're not really spending time on that part of it. But when you go to the syndication route, now it's not just finding deals and sourcing them. Now it's also sourcing the money and perfectly to have two partners so you can help yourself do that. 
Yeah, I love hearing that. So thanks for sharing that. What's next for you? What's on the horizon? Right now where we are, we are planning out two different development deals and we're selling two deals that we have right now currently. So the prices just have keep on going up here in where we are in this portion of the market cycle. So if it continues, we found land and we're, we're building on a couple deals that we're in planning right now, stages four. So we feel that's really the next stage of where we're going to be going. And that might be the game plan for the next four or five years down the road, depending on how everything with housing is tight. And I think also still looking for good value-add multifamily deals where we have a true value-add component because I always feel like just the raising of the rents is not a true value-add. I think there has to be something else. So if you're going through a down market or if you want to protect yourself against a down market, it's also finding a way of making the property more efficient because everybody was saying they're raising rents and then we go through COVID and let's be honest, the majority of people didn't raise rents anywhere near what they thought they're going to in 2020. So a lot of misprojections. But if you were able to make your property more efficient and shave off a few percent here on your expenses one way or another, that's another way of adding to the NOI. It's like that old adage, if someone's selling your house a realtor, hey, if you can't get this price we're talking about, what else do you have up your sleeve other than lowering the price? And I think that's a way of when you're dealing with making expenses and making your property more efficient that you can do in an up, down and sideways market. More great advice that I hear you say that you're doing ground up development now. Yeah, we're in the plans. I have one of my partners. I have two partners, actually. One of them is a spec home builder and the other one is uh, project management in construction. So it's kind of gives us a great base of what we're doing and where we're focusing. What are returns for your investors on a typical syndication that you do? Well, we do a lot of 506B, so I don't really want to go into too much on that. But on the ground development, it'll definitely be higher. And from, let's say, a typical syndication is probably like mid-single digits, mid-teens, let's say, it'll probably be several percent higher than that. But you're also not getting cash flow for the first couple of years. And that's the trade-off. So it's a different investor that you're attracting that says, hey, I'm going to invest And I know that this thing's not going to be built for 18 or 24 months, and I'm not going to see money back starting for another 24 months and maybe build it, rent it, sell it, and maybe it's not for 36 months. So it takes a different investor, and that's something else when you're doing those calls, having an idea of what your investors are actually interested in. Because some people want to put money in, and one month or three months or six months on the road, they want to start getting those first distribution checks coming in. Like everybody does, right? I had a call with an investor last week and he's like, oh, that's great. But how can I keep it invested longer where I don't get it back? And that's something that would be a perfect fit for someone that's planning on investing in development. That is another gold nugget of advice because you're right. Investors are different. To some, it's kind of an accounting headache when they get these monthly or quarterly checks. Really, they're just in it for the long run and for the big payoff. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, great point. Charles, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say to have your goals planned out of one before you start. Just don't have just for this deal. Make your decisions on what you're investing in by having already your 15, 10, five-year, one-year goals planned out and then knowing what you can do daily and weekly to reach them and see if this deal you're looking at is actually going to move you closer to those goals. Charles, are you ready for the lightning round? I am. Let's do it. Charles, what's the best ever book you recently read? 80-20 Rule, a fantastic book by, I think, Richard Koch or Koch. What was your biggest takeaway from that? Just the ability of knowing that when you look back on anything, 
personal or in business, the majority of your progress, of your profit, of your improvement on yourself and your business is done with a very small percentage. And if you break that down even more, 80-20, 80-20, you find out that 50% of your progress comes from only 1%. And that's a very powerful takeaway once you keep on cutting through and running that equation. Charles, what's the best ever way you like to give back? My wife and I, we do monthly donations to select the charities that we like. And we like picking a new one, whether it's every month or every quarter. And that's how we like doing it because then we can touch a lot more people with a lot more things that are important to us. That's another fantastic mindset right there. What a fun way to donate. So Charles, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? If you're interested in investing in real estate, whether it's active or passive, you don't have to be someone that's interested in a syndication. Just maybe you want to take down your first three unit. I do a free 30-minute call. So feel free to go to my website and you can go to the direct page where I schedule out the 30-minute calls. It's schedulecharles.com, which will take you directly to my website and the exact page at charlescrillo.com. So if somebody is just looking to invest on their own, they can still take 30 minutes of your time. Definitely. Whatever you want to talk about, we'll talk about it. That's incredible. Well, Charles, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've given us a lot of great advice on interacting and networking with investors and really getting down to what it is that they're looking for and how to match opportunities to them. So thank you for being on the show. Best ever listeners, thanks for joining us. Have a best ever day.